If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Acts chapter 8. I'd appreciate that. If you don't, the message outlines back there in the ministry counter, right out the center doors. Please pick up one of those. We're going to continue in our series called The Unstoppable as we're going through the book of Acts. And we're in the eighth chapter now. A large ship, like a cruise ship, takes about five miles to stop. And that changes on the propulsion system, the weight and the volume. How long does it take for a ship to stop? That's an interesting question, but probably a better question would be, what does it take to stop a ship, right? What does it take to stop a ship? A cruise ship captains will tell you that icebergs can stop a ship, right? They will tell you that other ships can stop a ship, and they will tell you that land can stop a ship, right? But the real question we're looking at this morning, what does it take to stop a church? Uh, Jesus, in the first century, the church had started, and Jesus said before he was crucified, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the church began in Acts chapter 2, right? The Holy Spirit came, and as the church began, Peter stood up and he preached that powerful sermon about the resurrection of Jesus, and 3,000 came to know Christ, and then later on, 5,000 came to know Christ. A man was healed, and Peter and John were, were thrown into prison. And yet the gospel continued to go out there in that city of Jerusalem where people came to know Jesus as their Savior. And the people gathered together in their homes. And there in their homes, they worshiped, they fellowshiped, they broke bread together, they prayed together. They did a lot of good things in the community together, right? And because of the famine that hit in Jerusalem and the poverty at that time, the Bible tells us that they chose seven men in Acts chapter 6 to help with the Grecian widows so they could get food. And Stephen was one of those men who was chosen. And Stephen was in a position of performing lots of good deeds, doing lots of good things, and doing miracles through the, through the apostles. And so now what happens, he's brought before the Sanhedrin council, before those 71 individuals. And he's asked, they ask him one question. Are these charges true? And Stephen begins to tell them, answer their question in 50 verses, over 50 verses in, in chapter 7. And he concludes with this powerful and persuasive sermon that he gives them. And the response to him was what? They stoned him. They murdered him for what he said. Would that stop the church? Would that stop the church right then? If you have your Bibles, as like I said, I turn to Acts chapter 8. We find that this chapter is a pivotal chapter right here in Acts chapter 8. It's a transitional chapter in the book of Acts because it's part of the plan of God, what God is going to do. We find in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the 120 people that were there, he told them, wait here in Jerusalem, wait here. And he said, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So right now, everything that is happening up to this point is in Jerusalem. But that's about ready to change as, as now persecution is going to come. And it's going to start through the stoning of Stephen. We're going to see persecution come. It read Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the beginning of it. It says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. That simple verse is going to take a whole lot more meaning as we get to the next chapter. We talk about Saul's conversion. So let's read on. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men uh, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
that scattering, or it says they had been scattered, this is kind of a word picture what they're having here of a farmer who reaches into his seed bag that's draped over his shoulder, and he reaches into it, and he kind of scatters the seed. That's the picture that we have right here. That the persecution that took place, these people who had gathered together in Jerusalem, now they have been scattered because of persecution. They're scattered, like God has taken the seed and cast them out. Scattered, but everyone that's scattered now is on mission. They're on assignment. And the wording there we have there is proclaim or preach the message of Jesus. That's why they were scattered. And, and, and that scattering takes place through persecution. God can do that in a number of ways, right? He could do that in all kinds of ways. And God has scattered people from our congregation over the last few years uh, through retirement, through economic downturn through changing of jobs, through people moving out of the area, out of Illinois to some other area. With every one of these families that leave, we're sad to see them leave, aren't we? Because we're together as a family. But God reaches into his seed pack and he sows the seed and he scatters the seed is what God is doing. He's scattering the seed to someplace else and taking people somewhere else. And sometimes God puts us in places that we don't like and sometimes he puts us in places that we do like. And he does it on purpose and for purpose. The reason he does it. Let's assume the on-purpose part, right? We assume that because God in His sovereignty knows what He's doing, right? We don't assume that. We believe that, right? Wait a minute. We believe God knows what He's doing in His sovereignty, right? Amen? We believe that. Okay, you're awake. You're awake. We believe that. But for purpose, what's the for purpose? The for purpose is a simple word there that says the word is to preach. And on verse 5, it talks about proclaim. So nobody here can say, I'm not a preacher. It talks about we are sent to proclaim is what he does. We are sent out to proclaim. God spreads the seed. We're scattered to proclaim. He scatters us wherever we are. And every one of you has been scattered, whether you realize it or not. You're scattered where you live. God has scattered us. And God does that in all kinds of different ways today. God, at your, maybe at your work at your office, God changes your, your cubicle is changed to a different place in the office. You've been scattered to be around other people. Maybe you've moved to a different apartment house or, or different place where you're renting now. You've been scattered. Maybe you're transferred to another building of, of where you're working or whatever it is. You've been scattered. Maybe to another job. You've been scattered to another location. You're moving to another location. You've been scattered. We understand that he's spreading us. He's scattering us to proclaim Jesus wherever we go. That's the reason he's scattering us, to proclaim him. And recognize that those people around us need the gospel message. That's what we have to recognize, wherever we go. And now this chapter, we're going to find out that the scattered church is unstoppable. It's unstoppable, what God does through them. And we're gathered here together today for worship, for fellowship, for prayer. We enjoy it. We love it. We love lifting up the name of Jesus. Amen? We love doing that, right? Lifting up his name and worshiping him. But then we're scattered. After the service is over, God scatters us back to our neighborhoods, back to where we live. And it'd be ludicrous for us to think that even with the plan of God where Jesus said, I want you to, to go, take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, for some of the people of Jerusalem to kind of say, you know what? You need to come here. You need to book your tickets to Jerusalem to come hear about Jesus. If you want to hear about Jesus, you have to come. So all people from all parts of the world have to come to Jerusalem to hear about Jesus. You'd think that wouldn't make any sense. That'd be crazy to have to do that, right? So God used persecution to take the people, the church, to where the people were. So God brought persecution in the church in Jerusalem, and he scattered them 
to all areas around there so they could take the gospel, not just in Jerusalem, but outside of Jerusalem is what he was doing. The same thing is true centuries later, what God does in our lives. Where we are gathered here, we would foolish to say to, to, to people around us, you have to come into the building here to hear about Jesus, to hear the gospel. We'd be foolish to say that. The plan of God was the same thing, to take people who are gathered here like on Sunday morning during the service and now to scatter them is what God does. He scatters us to the subdivisions, to the neighborhoods, to the workplaces, to the schools, to the prisons, to the jails, to wherever of this area as the gospel is spread through God's people to people who don't know Jesus. Amen? That's what God does. That's his plan. There are two stories in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to have to go through them very quickly. Even though I talk fast, we're going to go even faster so we can get through them this morning. And the first one we see is where persecution came. We see that it takes place here. Let's begin reading Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Remember, God had put his anointing on people. They were able to do miraculous things, so they'd pay attention to the message. And that's what verse 6 is saying. They saw the miraculous signs of people were paying close attention to what he said. Verse 7, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The second story starts in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and it has the same person in it. Philip, he's mentioned in this story too. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza, that's a name we hear almost every week on the news. Gaza and the Gaza Strip, right? Let's go on to, down to verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up, come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Who do you think that is? Okay, you guys are on the same page. Verse 33, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Asitus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I want us to look at a map. If you have the map on the screen there. And on this map, what you see here is this is Israel. Israel is a small area. It's about the size of 
the state of New Jersey, so it's a very small area. And you find in the first seven chapters that it centers, I don't think you guys can see it, but it centers right around here in Jerusalem, right around this area right here, the first seven chapters. The first seven chapters in Jerusalem, up in the hill country, this is where the temple was. This is where Jesus was crucified. This is where the Mount of Olives, where Jesus ascended up to heaven from there, uh, from the Mount of Olives, went up to heaven. This is where the Holy Spirit came. The church began. It was right here in Jerusalem. This is where Peter stood up and he gave that great message and thousands came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. All of it happened right here in Jerusalem is what we see. The church was born. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts happens right here in Jerusalem. Everything happens there. Everything you read is happening right there in Jerusalem, right then. And now through persecution, what's going to happen, there's going to be a scattering that takes place. And, the, and it's going to have the first place they're going to go from the scattering is up here in this area called Samaria. They're going to go up here. We're going to talk about that in, in just a moment. But Philip, uh, he went to go preach to those people in Samaria. And he preached to large crowds, the Bible says. And there were some people here that was demon-possessed, and he cast out the demons. They were free of the demons. There were some people who were paralyzed, and he healed them, and they could walk. So many people came to know Jesus Christ, their Savior, and the Bible says there was great rejoicing in the city, right? So then we find the Lord, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, I want you to leave this area here, and I want you to go down to this desert road, and I want you to make your way all the way down to Gaza, down to this, to this sea coast right over here. You hear a lot about that in the news today, about Gaza and the Gaza Strip. That's this area down through here right down through here, the Gaza Gaza Strip. I want you to go down there. And then the Holy Spirit said, when you get down there, the Holy Spirit tells him, there's going to be a man there in a chariot that's going to be in there, an Ethiopian eunuch, and I want you to get upside the chariot, and I want you to share the gospel with him. And, and that's what we find. We find these two tremendous stories right here in this passage, all regards to the scattering that's taking place. Well, Philip and others are, through persecution, left everything they had left all their possessions, left their homes. They left, and the reason they left was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is what they were doing. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to share eight things that the scattered church did, eight things that they did here. And these are really important for us, is God scatters us, not just from here into our community, but he might move us in around, that he scatters us. We see eight things that the scattered church did that helps us to understand what we should be doing in our own lives. And the first thing that they did, as we, they, we see, is they reached out to groups and individuals. They reached out to groups and individuals. We saw this here, massive evangelism that was taking place in Samaria, right? That Philip was preaching to their large crowds, and, and there were many people who were, were healed. And I can imagine the crowd just grew larger and larger as he preached. That's what Billy Graham did. He preached to large crowds. Pastors and evangelists do that. Maybe some of you might have an opportunity, opportunity to do that to this Christmas season. Somebody might ask you to pray, pray to, at the Christmas party or something. Or maybe uh, you have an opportunity to share to a crowd of who Jesus is and what he means to you. And sometimes we have those opportunities. But all of us have the opportunity to share with individuals, don't we? As Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch. And we stop and think about that as we, t we have these opportunities in this scattering process Wherever God takes us, wherever he sends us, we have the opportunity with individuals, don't we, to share. We have op opportunities. Every one of us do. None of us can say, I don't have any opportunity. You always do. If you're going out, you have opportunities. Did you ever think that some of those individuals that you and I are scattered amongst, that we, you, might be the only one that knows Jesus? You might be the only one that knows Jesus in that office, in that office that you're, you're in. 
You might be the only one who knows Jesus at that construction site you work on. You might be the only one that knows Jesus in that classroom that you're in. You might be the only one in Jesus that if you're in sports or whatever you're in, the only one that knows Jesus. Or that group that you meet with, you might be the only one that knows Jesus. And I think of every one of you, that every person you come in contact with, that you have the opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ to them. You do. You have the opportunity. And that's what we're called to do. Where are you scattered is what you need to think. Where has God scattered me? Where does he take me? What are the places that he take me? God has taken his seat and he's scattering you to those places, wherever he's taken you. And we're scattered, remember, on purpose and for a purpose. I want you to have that in your mind, on purpose and for a purpose. And you may say, well, I don't like my house. I don't like my community. I don't like my job. But you're there right now on purpose, strategically placed there by God, and for a purpose, proclaim the name of Jesus, Right? on purpose and for a purpose. All of us are like that. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior. The second thing the scattered church did, they shared with forgotten people. They shared with forgotten people. Has God forgotten people? No, God doesn't forget people, but sometimes people forget people, don't we? I want to look at the map again. We have up here uh, Samaria. Samaria was a forbidden land, a forgotten land, it was. The people forgot those people. They didn't like those people. It was a forbidden place to go for the Jews to go there. The kingdom was divided, and, and in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was taken into captivity. It would be this area up in here. was taken in captivity by the Assyrian Empire, was the world empire at that time. What would happen is they took the people, the Assyrians did, that they conquered, and the Assyrians are up here. They took the people they had conquered, and then what they would do, they would bring those people from those conquered nations, and they would basically plant them here in Samaria. And so you had Gentiles that were planted there in, Sam in Samaria. So you had Jew Jews and Gentiles co-mingled there in Samaria. So over time, it developed marriages and families. And what you found in this area is the Jews would call these people up here in Samaria, say they're half-breeds. They're polluted. We don't like them. The Jews looked at these people in Samaria with disdain. They did not like them because they had not maintained the purity of the race or their calling. So they didn't like them. So if you lived up here in Galilee, way up here, and you were coming down here to Jerusalem, you would go around that area of Samaria as far as you could get around them so you wouldn't be polluted by those people. And if you're going from Jerusalem up here to Galilee, and we know a lot about Galilee. Jesus did a lot of his ministry up here in Galilee. They would go all the way around so they wouldn't have to deal with any of these people here in Samaria because they didn't act like them. But we know Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus went right into Samaria and met a woman at a well, and he told her about water she could drink and she would never thirst again. So what we have here in Samaria is forgotten people, right? Forgotten people. The Ethiopian. The Ethiopian came from over here, would be in the northern Africa. He came over in this way, and he comes over to Jerusalem. And he's coming there being a, a eunuch and being a foreigner. He comes there, wasn't able to go in the temple. And they were probably rejected spiritually and probably perhaps he were rejected racially. And he wasn't there. He went there perhaps because he had a spiritual thirst. And now he's going back. He's going back to his home, to northern Africa there. And you wonder, uh, as he's going back, is he's forgotten? Has God forgotten him? No, God didn't forget him. People forgot him. People forgot him, but God didn't forget him. And, and God sends an angel, commissions an angel, and the Spirit of God nudges Philip, and he says, Philip, I want you to go down here from Jerusalem, down to this place, and I want you to talk to this man. He commissions an angel. But when you read that verse, I don't know if 
you ask questions like I do as I'm reading that. And the angel of the Lord said to Philip, I want you to go down to that desert road to Gaza and witness this, this man in the chariot. Why didn't the angel of the Lord do that? Why didn't he do that himself? He could have done that. Couldn't he have done that? He didn't need us to do that. See, the answer to that question gives us purpose in life. Do you realize that? It gives us purpose. That's our purpose. That's our calling that God has given us. The angel of the Lord could have done it, but God hasn't chosen him to do that. God has chosen you and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, as his privileged ambassadors, as the one that can share this wonderful message of Jesus. As he scatters us, we get the opportunity, the privilege, I say privilege, to share the good news of Jesus, to share the gospel, to share Jesus wherever we go. It's our calling. That's not the angel's calling. That's our calling that God gives to us. Forgotten people. Do we have forgotten people today? Oh, yeah, we got forgotten people. We have people around the world that have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never heard about Jesus. Has God forgotten him? No, God hasn't forgotten him. Uh, forgotten people today, we have people today doing their own thing and thinking everything's all right. But for eternity, they're lost without Jesus. Amen? They're lost. Have we forgotten them? Yes, maybe. But God hasn't forgotten them. We have people who are homeless, doesn't have food or, or shelter. And sometimes we forget them, but God doesn't forget about them. We have people in their own lives that are forgotten people that God has scattered us to the places where we live to, to proclaim Jesus to those people. God said, I haven't forgotten them. You say, what about my neighbor? God said, I've forgotten them. That's why you're there. What about that person, my loved one? God said, I haven't forgotten them. That's why you're there. We always say, Word, what about these people? And God says, I haven't forgotten them. Maybe you have, but let me remind you of them. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. The third thing the scattered church did, they were sensitive to God's leading. They were sensitive. Through the persecution, these people took the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever he sent them, wherever they, he, he took them, they, they shared it. They took advantage of the opportunity that God, through God's leading and through the Holy Spirit, they were able to share this. Normally, today, we don't have angels tapping us on the shoulder and say, Doug, I want you to go over there or go over here. But if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, what we do have today is the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, right? You're right. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and sometimes he'll nudge us or push us and say, I want you to go over and share Christ with that person who doesn't know Jesus. And he'll nudge us and push us to go this way or that way. That's what he does. The fourth thing the scattered church did, they made an effort. They made an effort. You know, we could say today, hey, everyone come to Crossroads Community Church in 3301 Illinois Route 251 here in Rochelle and come and hear about Jesus, right? Come on and hear about Jesus. Bring them all into church. And it's not a bad thing. That is called in the church word, what they call is the attractional model. Where you make the, the Sunday morning service appealing and delightful and you invite people to come in so they can know about Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not bad. But may I challenge you, there's a, I think to propose a better way, there's a better way, that as you and I gather this morning to worship, to fellowship and prayer, as we're gathered here, then God scatters us to the different areas of our community, to different areas, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our schools, to our other areas that we go to, the jails, the prisons, to the quilting clubs, to the cooking clubs, to the sport leagues that we're involved in. We're all scattered there, right? We're scattered there for the purpose of winning that basketball game or football game. We're scattered there so we can make the best quilt. We're scattered there so we can be the best cook in our cooking club. No, we are scattered there to share Jesus wherever we go. 
That's the primary reason we're scattered. Do you realize that? It's not for all these other things we're involved. That's the reason we're scattered. And it takes effort to go, doesn't it? It takes effort for us to go. It takes effort to realize our objectives and our agenda are secondary to God's. God's agenda is the primary. And what we're out to do, whatever we're involved in, that's secondary. God's is primary. God says, I've sent you there for a purpose. And your primary purpose is proclaim Jesus wherever you go. And we're there, whatever community, whatever workplace, whatever school, we are there for a purpose, proclaiming Jesus, who he is and what he did. That's why we're there. All of us understand that that's there for a purpose. You're there to do that. And even as I say this, maybe some of you are here and you say, boy, that really scares me because I'm not a preacher. I can't proclaim. And, and if I share and somebody asks me a question, I'm not going to be able to answer that question. Or if I share with one of my neighbors and they say, I know who you, I know your faults. Who are you to share Jesus with me? Or maybe if I share with somebody and what if I get the words wrong? And maybe they think they're going to heaven when they're really not because I messed up, right? Has anybody ever thought that? Maybe I messed up. Listen to me. God hasn't called us to save anybody. We can't. Jesus will do that. Jesus saves, amen? Jesus does that. All we have to do is make the effort. All we have to do is share Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. To share it, and we do that with our lives. Sometimes we do it with words, but we do that with our lives. It may be in our neighborhood that we take a meal to a grieving family. We take a meal over there just to introduce and maybe get to know them. And maybe it's a, a new family moved in in the neighborhood and we invite them over to our house or invite them to church. We can invite them to church or, or whatever. Or maybe it's this winter, as the winter comes and the snow comes, that you go over there and you say, I'm going to shovel their snow or take my snow blower or whatever it may be that we do. See, we become the hands and feet of Jesus is what we do. We make the effort, right? We make the effort. Making the effort to somehow to introduce these people to Jesus. And God, use me and give me opportunities. I want you to picture in your mind what's happening in this passage. The angel said to Philip, he says, I want you to go down this road, down to this desert road, down to Gaza, and I want you to talk to this man that's going to be in a chariot. I want you to share Jesus with him. And the Holy Spirit nudges him and tells him, I want you to go alongside of that chariot. The chariot's not stopped. And I don't know how old Philip is. The Bible doesn't tell us how old he is. I don't know if he got, got up that morning and says, I got these brand new gym shoes I'm going to put on so I can go running down there. And he's going to jog along this, this chariot that's moving probably at a good space. And he's there. Listen to what he did. He made every effort, didn't he? Made every effort. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's a long way, light years away from telling people come to us. They went to them. That's a picture. They went to them. The church was scattered, and God scattered them. He says, I, I don't want you to say, come to me. We're to go to them as individuals. And that's what he did. He went to him. He went to him. The fifth thing the scattered church did is they asked questions. They asked questions. Just ask questions. That's what Philip did. Do you understand what you're reading is what he asked. We don't have to have all the answers. We think we ought to have all the answers. We don't have to have that. In fact, maybe the best thing in our culture today is not give the answers, but ask questions. At least begin with that, of asking questions to people. And, and remember the old adage was, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Asking questions show you care. When you ask someone questions, it shows that you care. The sixth thing the scattered church did, they used scripture. We find this in both stories where, first of all, Philip, where he goes to Samaria and he's preaching about Jesus. He's, he's preaching scripture, right? Sharing about Christ and what he did. 
And then when, the, when he goes to down to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch, it was him. The Ethiopian was reading the book of Isaiah. Talk about a setup. And every time I think of this story, it reminds me many, many years ago where I was serving on staff of a church. And uh, I went and visit this family that just started coming to our, our church. And uh, matter of fact, I just met them just a few weeks ago at a, at a wedding at Yorkville. I, I was at a wedding there. And they reminded me of this story that I went to their house and I was in the house one or two minutes, and they asked me, Doug, will you sit here on the couch? They sat apart, across from me, and I'm, it's less than five minutes or I'm there, and they say, all we want to know, we have one question, how can we have a relationship with Jesus? I mean, was that a setup or what? It's like I was set up there. It was so easy. They were asking me, how do I have a relationship with Jesus? It was so easy. Within 20 minutes, they accepted Jesus Christ their Savior. And that's kind of what's going on here. It's kind of a setup. Uh, Philip just said, do you understand what you're reading? To ask a question. And the man says, the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? I need it explained to me. How do I do this? And he asked Philip to come up into the chariot. And Philip begins to explain to him that Isaiah's not talking about himself, but he's talking, he's referring to Jesus is what he was doing. I remember reading years ago, ago the story of Robert Rakes. Uh, in 1780, England, he's ministering outside there in, in London. Well, he's just out there. There is these kids he was trying to capture. Uh, these kids were working in the mines. There were no child labor laws. And they're working six or seven days in the mines, long hours. Most of the adults working in the, those mines were illiterate. And so Robert Rake says, this isn't right what's going on here. So he wanted to gather those children together on Sunday morning, and he wanted to teach them how to read. So what he does, he uses the Bible as his curriculum, and he begins to teach them how to read through the Word of God. And he would pay these children pennies to come to a Sunday morning program. And so there was one day when he was reading to the children, there was a child sitting next to him, and he's reading Isaiah 53, the same passage right here in Acts chapter 8, Isaiah 53. And when he is reading, the Spirit of God convicts him of who Jesus is and accepts Jesus Christ as his Savior. And Robert Rakes wanted to make an unselfish uh, difference in the lives of these children. Now that's been catapulted to another level, right? Before, he just wanted to teach them how to read so they can understand how to read. Now he wants to help them to know how to become a child of God, how they can have a relationship with God through Jesus. He wants to do that. Robert Rakes was the founder of the Sunday School Movement, if you didn't know that. And in 1780, England, he came to the United States five, days, five years later. And many people have come to Christ by reading the Word of God and being convicted and then began to ask questions. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God is where it comes. Or for people to come know Jesus, they have to come through the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to convict us, to draw us to Him. See, God has not promised to bless our stories. God has not promised to bless our sales pitch. God has promised to bless His Word, Right? So we use the Word of God when we're sharing with people. The Word of God is the one that, that convicts people and helps people to understand who God is. is through the Word of God. The seventh thing the scattered church did, they initiated follow-up. There was follow-up. You find in the first story that Peter and John were sent to, to the area of Samaria to help train and teach these people, also to introduce them to the Holy Spirit. You find in the story Ethiopian eunuch, he initiates it. And he says, uh, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why shouldn't I be baptized? Here's some water. I should be baptized. By the way, that's still a great question today, right? Why shouldn't I be baptized? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, have you been baptized? 
Ask yourself, after accepting Jesus, not as a baby, as after accepting Jesus, have you been baptized? And if you haven't, why not? The Bible says, Jesus says in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples. And once they become a follower of Jesus, then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism was never meant as an option for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. Never meant as an option. It was always meant as a commandment that once we accepted Jesus, the next step for us to do is to grow with Jesus is being baptized, being immersed in water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've never done that, please, I want to encourage you to get that done, get that accomplished. And one of the reasons I have this trial fold bulletin out today is it gives a place in this area that you could fill out. And right at the second, the bottom box here, you can check that. I want to be baptized. And I want to help you with that. That if you, if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and you have not been baptized yet, we need to make that happen in your life. They take that step of obedience and be baptized. Now, it doesn't matter how old you are. In the early church, once someone accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, shortly after, they were baptized. doesn't mean I got to get my life right. Baptism does not save us. Salvation through Jesus saves us, right? But baptism identifies me with Christ, and also I do it be obedient to Jesus because he tells us to do that. So if you're, say, I've trusted Jesus Christ my Savior, please be baptized in order to be obedient to the water of baptism. So let's make sure we do that, all of us. That's our step of obedience to Christ. If I say I'm walking with Jesus and I haven't been baptized, you need to be obedient in that area where he commanded us. They were concerned about this follow-up with people in this growth process, so, so they did a follow-up. The eighth thing the scattered church did is they experienced joy when they were doing all these things. They experienced wonderful joy. If you were in Samaria and you were the relatives of one of those people who were demon-possessed, and now they found freedom in Christ, in Jesus, right? They are free of those demons. You rejoiced. You greatly rejoiced with them. If you're one of those people who accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you rejoiced, right? Amen. You rejoiced. If you're the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip is taken from you and you're on your way home and now the gospel is on its way home with you to Africa, you're rejoicing that I have this good news to take to Africa with me. See, the gospel brings joy wherever it goes. It does. It brings joy. First, that a person who is obedient to share it, they find joy in that. And also, to next, to those who by God's grace receive it, right? You and I are called to be ambassadors of joy. That wherever we take this wonderful, amazing message, it brings joy for us to share it. And those who receive it, it brings joy in their life because it's, it's life-changing. It changes their eternity from eternity, eternity of darkness to eternity of light with God forever, right? It's a message of hope. It's the greatest message ever told. It's that message that we take with us wherever we go. When I first started this series, when we talked in the first message, you go back and you can listen to it online. We talked about that the United States of America and the North, and, uh, North American continent is anemic, the church is. That the church in every continent is growing and except the continent in which we live in. So something has to be different. Something has to change. We find in this passage, what they were doing was so radically different from everything else because they were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They were so dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. And they realized that wherever God sent them, wherever they went, they were on mission. They were on assignment for Jesus. And may we do that as well. Be on mission and assignment for Jesus. That wherever God takes us, Wherever he sends us, they're on mission for God. On purpose and for purpose, right? 
on purpose that God scatters us. He spreads the seed and he strategically places each one of us exactly the place he wants us to be. Where you're at, God has placed you there. And for a purpose, the reason I'm there where God has placed me, proclaim the name of Jesus, who he is and what he did. That is your primary reason to be in there. That is our primary reason as followers of Jesus Christ that we exist. That gives us purpose in life. You say, I want purpose. The greatest purpose you can have is sharing the good news of Jesus. That gives you the most joy that you ever have in your life. And it will bring the most joy to other people's life. You say, boy, I want to give joy to people around the world. The greatest joy you can give them is eternal life, right? Through Jesus. And so God has given us this blessing of joy. And he says, I want you to be my ambassadors of joy. And I want you to share this. There might be persecution along the way, but the joy that you will experience as you share the gospel with people, that we say, I'm on purpose and for a purpose. Proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise that wonderful name of Jesus. We praise you, God, and we look at this, this what happened in the early church, Lord, and we are amazed when we look at this story. We look at what happened, that these people were scattered, and, and most of the time when people are chasing us out of our homes, when they're chasing us from our jobs, when they're taking all of our possessions, when they're taking everything that we have and running for our very lives, we think that is the worst thing that can happen in our lives. But we look in those in the early church as they were running, Lord, they were excited because they were sharing Jesus and they saw what you were doing in their lives and other people's lives. That many people, you used that reason when it seemed like it was the worst thing that could happen. You used it for your glory and many, many, many people came to know Christ as your Savior. They just scattered the church outside of Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and eventually it's going to go to the ends of the world, Lord, that you did that and you started here in Acts chapter 8 that we see the beginning of it, Lord, this scattered church, what it's to look like and what we are to do and how we are to be. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. Lord, as we look at what you've called us to do on purpose, that you scattered us to where we live, to those things we're involved in, to our workplace, to our community, to the groups we're involved in, to the friends that we have, you've placed us here. But Lord, that for purpose is sometimes so difficult. For purpose. My reason for my existence gives me purpose in life is to proclaim the name of Jesus to others so they might have what we have. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life with Jesus forever. Lord, we can't do this on our own. Like the early church, Lord, they couldn't do it on their own. We can't save anybody. But Lord, we know you can. You can do the impossible. Lord, some of us are timid and shy and afraid to share anything, Lord. Sprayed to speak in public, but Lord, we ask that you would give us boldness. You would give us the words to share, Lord, and, and realize we don't have to have all the answers. All, Lord, we have to do is make the effort. Make the effort and share Jesus and leave the rest to you. We don't have to worry that that person accept him or, or what. Lord, let us be faithful to you. That we're on for purpose proclaim Jesus wherever we go. That we might proclaim the good news of Jesus. That how much you love them and you sent your son to die on the cross for them and they can find eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Every sin, any sin through Jesus. Let us help to share that loving message with others so they too can be forgiven. And they too can have a relationship with you. And they too can have eternity as their hope to be with you forever. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that you might use us. As this Christmas season is coming up, Lord, and we get together with families, and we need to be reminded 
On purpose, we've been scattered by God to wherever he's taken us. And for a purpose, proclaim Jesus. That this Christmas, Lord, we be reminded of our purpose. Reminded of our, our primary objective. That we might share the good news of Jesus with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with those in prison and out of prison, with those, Lord, anybody we come in contact with, Lord, you give us opportunity. Help us, Lord, to be your faithful ambassadors. Help us to be the ambassadors of joy. Help us to realize it is a privilege and honor to share the good news. Help us to be bold, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you. And, Lord, I pray for any of those today that know you as their Savior, Lord, and they have never been baptized. You'd help them to take that next step of obedience. And I pray for anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, help them realize you love them, want a relationship with them. That's why you sent Jesus to die on the cross. They might put their faith and trust in him today. Lord, we love you and praise you. And Lord, let us continue to worship with you this morning. And Lord, we ask all these things in that wonderful, amazing name. In the name of Jesus, amen.